The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Let me start by saying thanks. Thanks for the love you've demonstrated to me and Bev and our family. Over the past several weeks, we're on this journey together. You have lifted our hands when we could not lift them. You've prayed for us unceasingly, and we've been bolstered. You've fed us. You've unpacked our house. We moved in the midst of all this. Uh, You've hung pictures on our walls. You've done medical research for us. You've provided medical care for us. You have allowed us to stay in your home after surgery. You have cared for my parents when we could not, and you have loved on us. So from the bottom of our hearts, thanks. We appreciate it. The, uh, the journey intensified some this week. We found out through genetic testing I'm at high risk for uh, metastasis. But here's what I want you to know. Your pastor and his wife are leaning into God like never before. And uh, we believe and we're trusting God to do whatever he can in this. We are submitted to him. We're trusting him for a long life, but we recognize all of that is in his hands. I'm personally asking Abba to live a long life with my bride who has done marvelous things for me in the past weeks and loving and caring for me. And uh, I'm going to move her over there. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I'm personally asking for that and to see my grandkids grow up and be redeemed and to be your pastor for many more years. So that's how we're praying. Pray that I'll be a man of faith as I have been, not filled with fear. Uh, honestly, I've had some dark moments, but uh, most of the time God gives us a whole lot of grace and uh, we're bolstered by you. And so in the days and weeks ahead, uh, just pray for that. Pray that we would be faithful. Pray that God would do a work in us and a work in this body. Not many bodies have the privilege, and I count it a privilege to go through this together. So uh, keep lifting up our arms, and we're going to focus on the Savior. Our prayer every Sunday is that the focus will not be on any of us up here, but on the Savior. Keep praying that. I desire for Jesus to live through us, not for me to be the focus. And so I recognize a little weird when you see this. I'll get a prosthesis in about a month, and uh, so that will all go away. And uh, it's going to have a laser to wake anybody who's sleeping up (laughs) on Sunday morning. So don't go to sleep out there. Uh, But really, from the depths of our hearts, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you and this body and to be back here with you and uh, to journey in the Savior together. So... Uh, we love you and thank you for all you've done. We want to pray for a lady, a young girl named Amanda Hoffman. Amanda attends TBC. She just graduated from A&M last month. She was headed on a road trip to celebrate her graduation. And uh, it was in a car accident outside of Jackson, Mississippi, and is uh, lingering between life and death right now. So we're going to pray for her and pray for the word after I read it. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love, perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch the majestic language of these next verses which he will bring about at the proper time. He is the blessed one, the sovereign one, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. What words describing the Godhead? Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in in, in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly chatter, empty Empty, worldly and empty chatter, and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. 
which some have professed and thus gone astray from the truth. Grace be with you. Father, we pray for Amanda. Lord, we know her life is in your hands just as our life is in your hands. And we pray for this young girl, Father, that you would raise her up from the tragedy she's been in. Father, we open the word now to delight to open the word with my brothers and sisters. Feed us your flock and cause us to see who you are in Christ's name. Amen. This is a final charge and a personal plea from Paul to his young mentee in the faith, Timothy. It's been a very personal letter. At the beginning of this letter, he said, Timothy, I want you to stay on in Ephesus. There's some false teachers there. Timothy, you've got to give direction to the church. You've got to to stay there and combat these false teachers. And Timothy, by the way, here's how the church should conduct itself. Timothy, it needs to take care of those who are heretics in it and needs to boot them out. And Timothy, it needs to be praying for all men for their salvation. He needs to pray for leaders. And Timothy, you've got to have good leadership. You have to have elders. You have to have deacons. And Timothy, you've got to care for widows. And, and, And Timothy, by the way, those false teachers are going to pervert those within the church so make sure that you combat them when they come and in Timothy in chapter 6 there are those who love money and Timothy don't be one of them so Paul has laid out for Timothy in this very personal letter uh, what he should do and where he should go and he concludes with a very personal plea at the end it's really if you look at the verses that I just read it's a final charge and a personal plea It's this aged, seasoned apostle concluding his letter to his son in the faith. And it's like he wraps his arm around him and he says, Timothy, let me tell you a couple of things before I conclude the letter. Timothy, my friend, and you can almost pull up a chair and sit and watch this conversation via letter between the two of him. And Paul gets very personal. He calls him a man of God. And if you look at the second to last verse, verse 20, oh, Timothy, a term of of endearment, Timothy. So it is a final charge and a personal plea. Somebody sent me a video a couple of months ago, and and really it's a final charge and a personal plea to a young man. And I, I think it's quite appropriate because you can parallel what's in this video with what's happening between Paul and Timothy. It's actually a man who uh, is giving a charge to a groom who's going to marry his daughter. Watch this video. Think about a final charge and a personal plea. Philip. I want to tell you a story. (laughs) And like all good stories, it starts like this. Once upon a time, there was a father. And in case you can't figure that out, that's me. (laughs) This father had a wonderful little boy. He was very happy. But then one day he found out that his wife was going to have a little baby. So I pray, Lord, if it's your will, As the first person to hold her in my arms, I looked at her and I said, Lord, make her like a mother. And he did. She was loving, giving, so good and so kind. But then I realized I was getting left out. So I said, Lord, make her like me. And he did. She can drive a truck and a tractor. She can load an egg and strip the back of it. Do you realize what you're getting? <laughs> but at the same time, she was opinionated, emotional, and hard headed. So I said, Lord, that's enough of that. 
maker like you. And he did. He gave her the Zard She loves people. She gave her life to be the nurse. She's brought people back from the dead. And she's held the hand of people and breathed their last breath. He gave her a heart for missions. And she's trekked all over the world. Pushed canoes up swollen rivers and laid on the floor while bullets whizzed outside so she could tell people about Jesus. But still something was missing. So I said, Lord, make her happy. You see that look on her face? I never saw that until she met you. And I'm grateful for that. Today I'm giving you the best thing I had to give. And I just wanted you to know before I do that how hard me and God's work to get her ready for <laughs> As I give her to you, I don't think you'll mind if I give you one more word of advice. Me and God's work hard. Don't screw it up. That is one great final charge, isn't it? And you can't get a more personal plea than that. I want you to think of how intimate that is. That's exactly what Paul is doing with Timothy. So, Timothy, I've got one last thing I want to give you. I want to tell you, Timothy, I love you. I care for you. And, Timothy, here's what I want you to know. Timothy, a man of God does certain things. A man of God does certain things. This is what a man of God is like and what a man of God does. This is his final charge to Timothy. If you, if you notice in, in verse 11, the first portion of it, he says, but, but you, Timothy, or, but you, but flee from these things, you man of God. And I want to start by saying, first of all, notice if you write in your Bibles, man of God. That particular term, that, that particular phrase is used of several folks in the Old Testament, man of God, but it's only used one time in the New Testament right here. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Here is Timothy reading this very personal letter from his seasoned, his, his seasoned, the seasoned apostle, the one that he loved, his father in the faith, the one that he cared for so much. And as Timothy reads this letter, we don't know where he is. We don't know if he's reading by candlelight in his home, if he's reading before the church at Ephesus, if, it's, if he's out on the street somewhere reading this very personal epistle. And he comes to this point, and when he comes to this point, he's got to get choked up. He has to have a lump in his throat, a tear in his eye, and his heart has to to be filled with gratitude because Paul hears in turn, Timothy, you man of God, his father in the faith, the one that he loves is encouraging him, saying, Timothy, you're a man of God. And when I look at that, folks, honestly, as I was studying this this past week, I thought about the encouragement we've received over the past months, over the past weeks, and how important that is in life. And I wish I could tell you that all the times have been just uh, giddy and that we've been so excited, but there are times actually when it's been quite dark. But you have sent us text messages and emails, and you've showed up with meals, and you've encouraged us along the way. And when that happened, we've been encouraged. And he says, Timothy, you man of God. Timothy, you man of God. Who needs encouragement in your life? Who is it that you need to write a note to? And I'm not fishing for us. You've given us plenty. But who in your world? Who else in your world that, that needs to hear from you? They, they need a note from you. They need uh, someone to, to come alongside them, put an arm around them, and pray for them and lift them up. Who, who it is that you can keep their kids so they can go out to dinner one night? Who is that? Timothy, you man of God. 
How many of you have seen the movie 42 in the last couple of months? How many of you have been to the movie theater? Not many of you. What have you been doing since I'm gone? <laughs> you need to go see that movie. It's a great movie. It's the Jackie Robinson story. I love baseball and I love baseball history and I particularly love Jackie Robinson's story. He broke the, the color barrier back and when integration was not there, he was the first athlete to become uh, to, to invade the major leagues and he was a great ball player, a Hall of Famer. He's, a, he's an American icon and hero and rightly so. And if you watch that movie, they don't portray it exactly right. I've read a couple of biographies on Jackie Robinson, but there was a time when the team would go to hotels. Oftentimes he was not allowed to stay because he was a black man. And sometimes they'd go to restaurants and he would not be allowed to enter because he was a black man. And oftentimes he was jeered in the parks that he went to to play in because he was a black man. One day, he was at his home stadium with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and a ball was hit to him. He was actually playing second base, not first base. And as he was playing second base, he booted the ball, made an error. And, and his own home team began to boo him. People began to throw stuff on the field. And he said, and one of, his bio, one of his biographers wrote, it was a telling moment in Jackie's life. He thought that he would just turn and walk from the field. But you know what happened next? The future Hall of Fame shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers was who? Who knows that? Pee Wee Reese. And after he booted that ball and all those people were booing him and throwing things down on the field, Pee Wee Reese left his position at shortstop, walked across the second base bag, across the diamond to where Jackie Robinson was with his head hung as people were booing him in the stands. And he placed his arm around his friend and stared down that crowd. And Robinson says through one of his biographies, he said, it was that day when Pee Wee put his arm around me that I knew I wouldn't give up. A word of encouragement, Timothy, you man of God. You man of God, who needs a word of encouragement to you? Well, Paul goes on and he says, Timothy, a man of God knows what he should be known by a number of things. First of all, he should be known by what he flees from. Timothy, there are certain things you have to flee from. If you look at verse 11, he says flee. We're going to look at some words here that are all imperative, all commands. It's going to be the words flee, pursue, fight, and uh, he's going to talk about a charge that he gives to him. And he says, Timothy, I want you to flee. What does he want to flee from? Well, if you read it, it says, I want you to flee from these things. What things does he want to flee from? Well, in the context, if you back up one verse, he tells him the love of money is the root of all evil. Timothy, you've got to flee from the things of this world. You've got to flee from not money, but you've got to flee from the love of money. Timothy, you can't be shackled by the material things of this life and this world as a man of God. Timothy, you have to flee from these things. The Greek word for flee there is fugo. We we get the word fugitive from it. A fugitive is one who runs from something. Timothy, you've got to run from the things of this world and run after the Savior. Timothy, you can't be trapped by the desires of this world. I love this statement by one author. Their property held them in chains, which shackled their courage, choked their faith, hampered their judgment, throttled their souls. If they had stored up their treasure in heaven, they would not be enslaved as they are to their own property. They are not the masters of their money, but it's slaves. You would think that would be something written and preached by somebody today. You know when that was, when that was written? It was written and preached by Bishop Cyprian in the 3rd century. And if that was true in the 3rd century, how much more true is it now? They are shackled by these things. They, 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 their property held them in shackles and they were choked by their faith. And believe me, at this point in time in my life, I point one finger out and three right back at myself. But what are we giving our lives to? What are we storing up? It's Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said this. He said, uh, he who has no money is poor, but he who has nothing but money is even poorer. 
And he says, Timothy, you've got to flee these things. You've got to run from these things. You can't stay chase after these things, Timothy. Run from the world and don't be consumed with it. But a godly person is not only one who runs from something. He's one who runs after something and follows after something. And he says, Timothy, flee these things. But Timothy, follow after these things. And he lists six virtues at the end of that verse. If you look at the end of that verse, he says, Timothy, you've got to run from these things, but you've got to run to these things. You have to pursue, you have to run righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and and gentleness. He says, Timothy, not only does a godly man and a man of God run to something, away from something, but he runs to something. Timothy, these are the virtues you have to run after. Timothy, this is the man you must become. I'm afraid in the spiritual life, all people do sometimes as a legalistic get away from things. They don't do things and they identify themselves as I'm one who doesn't do this, this, or this. But the reality of the spiritual life is we should be identified with our great God and the Lord Jesus Christ by what we follow after. Timothy, a man of God, flees from and also follows after. What do you need to flee from? What do you need to be fleeing from? For some, it's the same obsession that those in the first century had that Paul's writing to. Maybe it's an obsession with material things. For some of you, you need to flee happy hour at the same restaurant you've gone to because you know what happens there. For some of you, you need to be fleeing from your computer screen because you know what happens there. For some of you, you need to be fleeing from a bad immoral relationship because you know it's not right. For some of you, you need to be fleeing a six-pack every night because you know you're living in sin. We need to not hide, think we can hide some secret sin from God because we can't. What do you need to flee from? There was a revival taking place in uh, the backwoods of Kentucky and Appalachia. Seven-night revival started on a Sunday, went through a Sunday, and as that revival came, the same man would come down, and he would get on his knees at the altar call with other folks, but this man would cry out to God. He said, God, clean out the cobwebs, clean out the cobwebs, clean out the cobwebs, referring to a sin. Finally, in the last night of revival, the preacher had the revival preacher, the guest preacher had all he could stand. And the man started saying, clean out the cobwebs, clean out the cobwebs. And the, the preacher started saying, Lord, kill the spider, kill the spider, kill the spider. <laughs> what spider needs to be killed in your life? That's what Paul's saying. Flee from these things, but follow after. He says, follow after, that is pursue. Pursue these things. You may, say, you, you may say, Gary, I, I know how to pursue an education. I know how to pursue a career. I know how to pursue lowering my handicap. I, I know how to pursue a new recipe. But how do I pursue these things? How do I pursue faith, love, righteousness, godliness, perseverance? And how do I pursue those things? Last Sunday was Mother's Day. We decided we would uh, just grill something at home because my daughter and her family were there and we had some friends over and so, you know, not wanting to fight the Mother's Day crowd at the restaurant. So, uh, on Saturday I'd picked up some chicken to grill and, uh, we had marinated overnight, a little chicken teriyaki, and we realized, well, maybe we didn't buy quite enough chicken. So, on my way home after church last Sunday, I stop at HEB and, uh, buy some more chicken and, uh, obviously there's no time to marinate it, so we just coated a little stuff on it. Now, let me ask you a deep theological question. Which chicken do you think was better? The one marinated overnight or the one that just got a simple coating that afternoon? Some of you think, Gary, I don't know where you're going with that story. That pirate patch is messing with your brain, I think. But here's the reality. The the one marinated was much better. That's what Paul is saying. Pursue these things. Be marinated in these things. Let them be a part of your life, guys. When you marinate yourself in the Word of God, you become righteous. When you marinate yourself in prayer, you become godly. When you marinate yourself in worship with other believers, your faith grows. When you marinate yourself in community, you'll become more loving. You pursue. That's active, not passive. You allow the Word of God to be that which is filling your life. You allow the people of God to fill your life. You allow 
prayer with the living God to fill your life and you pursue those things. Some of you think, Gary, I'm just trying to pursue the end of the school year and get through soccer and school events and I'm trying to pursue, you know, a little advancement or achievement or education or training. I don't have time for that. What I recognize in life is we pursue what we prioritize. We pursue what we prioritize. Hey, if working out's a big deal to you, you're going to find time to work out. If keeping an immaculate lawn is a big deal to you, you're going to find time to keep an immaculate lawn. If, if accessorizing and fashion's a big deal to you, you're going to find time to go get that stuff. And he's saying you've got to make the pursuit of the living God a priority because, Timothy, you've got to not just flee, but you have to follow after. Not only that, Timothy, you've got to fight. You've got to fight, Timothy. If you look at the next verse, he says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. The good confession that you already made. Timothy, you have to fight. It's a military term. It's an athletic term. It's used in both of those realms and both of those worlds. The word fight is the Greek word agonizomai. We get the word agony from it. He says, Timothy, you have to labor in agony because you're in a battle. You're in a contest. That There is a fight for your soul. There's a fight for your life, Timothy. You have to fight the good fight. Once again, it's not passive, but it's active. You have to agonizomai. You have to fight the enemies. You have to fight the enemies of the world, the flesh, and Satan. You're navigating life and things are going well and all of a sudden Satan pops his ugly head up and he gets you by the nap of your neck and he shakes you like a lion would shake a gazelle in the jungle. And First Peter says he seeks to devour you. And all of a sudden you're gone through life and you're attacked. What do you do? He says you fight. You're gone through life and things are going well, but then your flesh yields, your flesh pops up and you say things you shouldn't say, you pursue somebody you shouldn't pursue, and you do things you shouldn't do, and you recognize you're in a battle for your life, and you're supposed to fight at that point in time. Or, or maybe it's the world luring you into its clutches and it's seeking to get you into its trap, and what do you do when that comes? You fight the good fight. Billy Sunday was actually a professional baseball player turned evangelist back in the 1920s, and he said this about fighting in the spiritual life. He said, I'm against sin. I'll kick at it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And if I'm toothless, I'll gum it all the way to glory. (laughs) That's fighting. That's what he's saying. You fight the good fight. You don't quit. You don't give up because the opposite of fighting is surrender, isn't it? And he says, you don't surrender, you don't stop, you don't throw up your hands and say, no, it's too hard, no, it's too difficult, the trial is too great, the way is too long. You don't do that, and believe me, this has been a battle for me in the last few weeks. You know, God, this isn't fun anymore. And you know, God, as we navigate this, uh, I certainly would like different prognosticators. But God, I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to persist. I'm going to persevere. What is your trial? What is it that you're wrestling with? See, if you look at the end of verse 11, one of the virtues he says to pursue is perseverance. Perseverance. Sin pops its ugly head and tempts you. You persevere. You fight. Trial comes your way. You persevere. You fight. Whatever it is that comes your way, you battle it and you fight for it because that's what a man and woman of God does. They don't quit. They don't give up. They persevere. One lady said I was having problems with perseverance. My friends reminded me of that. So today, I finished two bags of potato chips and a chocolate cake. I persevered to the end of all of that. (laughs) Ken Geyer is one of the authors I enjoy reading. He says this, The enemy has never been more relentless, never been more cunning, never been more ruthless. A daunting decision stands between us and our enemy. We can sheathe our swords and retreat. We can lay down our swords and surrender. 
We can fall on our swords in despair, or we can, with the brave who've gone before us, draw our swords and ride with full fury into the enemy's ranks. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to retreat and surrender, or we're going to fight the good fight. Every day is a choice for every one of us which we're going to do. He says, Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Timothy, live every day in light of eternity. Live each day in light of eternity. You know, that, that's happened to me. And I, I promise every sermon from the one is not going to be about cancer. That's not going to happen. Pretty fresh right now, though. And uh, Living in Light of Eternity, there, there's a book, Ann Murkison, Bev's dear friend, gave us a book about five years ago called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. How many of you read that book? Bunch of you. It's been in my nightstand for five years. Never picked it up. It's about that thick. I'm about halfway through it. I want to live every day in light of eternity. I want to know where I'm headed one day. My day may be sooner than later, but we're all headed there one day if Christ is our Savior. And so I want to know what that place is like. I want to know what it's going to be like. And I want to know, most importantly, the truth of being with our Savior. And he says, you take hold of eternal life. Timothy, every day, you think about that which is eternal. Because that's what a godly man, that's what a man of God does. And Timothy, a man of God, is known by what he's faithful to. If I had to write one word in, my, in the column next to my Bible, verse 13, I would write the word intense. Paul, you're pretty intense here. I, I mean, look at that verse. He says, I charge you. And he says, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things. And I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. By the way, I circled the word good confession in verse 12, good confession in 13, drawn a line between it. And he says, Timothy, you stated a good confession. Christ stated a good confession. Timothy, I remind you that. Why? So that you'll be faithful. Verse 14, that you keep the commandment without stain, without reproach until Christ comes back. Timothy, you have to be faithful to keep the commandment. Which commandment? I think he's referring to all the commandments, to the gospel. He's saying, Timothy, the gospel has implications and applications to your life when you know Christ. You are to live a life, a life of faithfulness, every day that you have breath. So, Timothy, you follow the command that God has given you. Timothy, you flee from certain things. You follow after these things. You fight against things. And, Timothy, you be faithful. You be faithful. I look at that and think, what is he saying here? He's saying, Timothy, live like the person you confess to be. Live like the person you profess to be. You profess to know Christ. You you profess this good confession, Timothy. So live accordingly. Live accordingly. So the question the scriptures are asking us is, how are we living? Are you living out that which you profess? Are you living your life? according to the one who's given you life. I'll never forget, Bev and I were at a Moody Bible Institute pastor's conference a number of years ago. One of the keynote speakers was Tony Evans. Tony was a professor of mine at Dallas Seminary, longtime pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, author, speaker, just a great man of God. In that particular uh, sermon he was preaching, he, he, he looked at that crowd and he said, gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen, all these pastors and wives, he said, a hypocrite is one who has God in his mouth on Sunday, but the world in his heart on Monday. And as only he could do, man, he got into it and he started rolling. 
And he said, a hypocrite is one who's singing on Sunday but shacking up on Monday. A hypocrite is one who's talking with the brothers on Sunday but he's gossiping on a Monday. And a hypocrite is a lady who, who, who's with the sisters on Sunday but then, but, the, but then she's talking about them on Monday. And he went on and played that tune over and over and over again and finally bangs his head on that pulpit and says, be the one who you claim to profess to be. Are you? Are you? Timothy, be faithful to the command that's been given to you, Timothy. And then he uses this majestic language to talk about the Trinity. He says, the one who's going to come at the proper time, the blessed and sovereign King of kings and Lords of Lords, the one who possesses immortality, the one who dwells in approachable light, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. And Paul was caught up in the majesty of eternal life. The majesty of who the Godhead is. And you can see him writing this personal note to Timothy and this final charge and says, Timothy, don't forget whose you are and who you are. He concludes this whole section in verses 20 and 21 and he says in a very personal way, Timothy, guard the truth that's been given to you. Literally guard the deposit. It's a banking term. Timothy, God has given you much, so guard the deposit. Guard all that he's given you. Don't get involved in worldly and empty chatter. Don't get involved in these people who falsely call this thing knowledge. I think it's a direct reference to one of the doctrines of that day, which was a false doctrine, the doctrine of Gnosticism. He's repeating from chapter 1. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verses 3 and following, he's telling Timothy, the things I warned you about in the beginning, be warned about now. They're false teachers. You've got to stand against them. Otherwise, you're going to be led astray. Timothy, guard the truth and avoid that which is false. Timothy, some have professed these things and have gone astray. Timothy, don't get caught up in the empty chat of this world. Don't get caught up in this false doctrine. In this very personal plea, he issues this final charge and says, Timothy, pursue that which is right. There are dangers lurking in the water. As I look at this and we discussed it as a staff team, I'm thinking, you know, the other thing that's called knowledge goes all the way back to Genesis. And there was a warning there. If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. And they ate of that tree and they died. But our Savior came in and extended grace through his blood so we can have life. And I'm not sure exactly that this is an allusion back to that, but it certainly could be. And he says, Timothy, grab hold of eternal life. The stuff called knowledge, this Gnostic stuff that's being taught out there, it's a bunch of hooey. But Timothy, remember, remember there was another tree, and if you eat from that tree, you die as well. So Timothy, my dear son in the faith, the one that I love and I care for, the one who has given his life to so much, Timothy, remember who and what you're living for. Remember that, Timothy. Remember who and what you're living for. And those words echo through the centuries down to us today. And we have to answer that question. Who are you living for? And what are you living for? Everybody takes a deep breath when I go down the stairs, but I can see them and I can make it. So by God's grace, we're going to keep doing that as long as we're able. Who are you living for? What are you living for? Have you lost your passion for the Savior? 
Timothy, a man of God, flees from, follows after, is faithful to. Timothy, a man of God, fights. He passionately follows a Savior. One of the things that happens as we age in the spiritual life, sometimes we lose that passion. And Paul says, Timothy, remember why you're here. Whose you are and what you should do. And my brothers and sisters, that's what I remind you of. Whose you are and what you should do. Ron Meredith in one of his books says it was a beautiful fall evening in the Midwest. He says, I was in bed. It was a full moon and a starry night. I was in bed drifting off to sleep and then I heard it. I heard the sound of Canadian geese flying overhead heading south. He says, it's the most beautiful noise you can hear. I threw on my robe, ran out into the cool fall air, and looked up at those glorious birds as they were flying overhead. Through the moonlight and starlight, listening to their honking. And he says, then I began to hear a flutter over on the side. It was my farm pond. It was my domestic ducks and geese that I raised. And I'll read what he says. He says, uh, they were hearing the call of the wild as well, a call that they had once known. The honking out of the night stirred deep urges from long ago within them. Their wings fluttered a bit in feeble response. The desire to fly, to take their place in the sky alongside the others that God had made was sounding in their feathered breast. But they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn that I fed them in the barnyard proved to be too tempting and too comfortable day after day. So they flapped their wings and stayed in the water. They'd become quite complacent. They heard the call. Once had been part of that, but no longer were flying. Which are you? Which are you? In the pond, complacently getting plump and fat, or passionately pursuing the Savior, fleeing from, following after, fighting ahead, and faithfully keeping the commandment. Father, we want to know whose we are and what we should be doing. Whose we are is yours. If you're here today and you're not sure of that, if you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, you may be a good person, a religious person, a nice person, But if you're not sure if you have ever trusted Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, I make that offer to you, not me, but he does right now. Would you just pray with me right now? If there's any doubt in your mind, Lord Jesus, I want to know with certainty that you're my Savior. I ask you for the forgiveness of my sin, not based on anything I've done, but based upon your shed blood. I ask you to be my Savior. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you begin a new journey as well. And I just talk to me. I'd love to help you out to get help on that journey. Some of you'd have to raise your hands and say, I'm, that, uh, I'm the geese and the ducks on the pond. I flap my wings on Sundays, but I never get out of the water. And I am not passionately pursuing a Savior. I know I'm His, but I'm not living for Him. I've surrendered instead of fight, fighting. Pray for me. 
I'd like to do that this morning. Lord Jesus, for those who fall in that category, God, I pray this morning is a morning of confession, a morning of reprioritizing, so we'll pursue that which is good and that which is right. And in that pursuit, we will see righteousness and godliness and perseverance and faith and love and gentleness increase. Father, we love you. We're grateful for a Savior who loves us. We're grateful for the Spirit who indwells us. We're grateful in our weakness. I'm grateful in my weakness you're made strong. And so, Father, this day and each day, we want to fight the good fight to bring you honor and glory. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen and amen.